a lot of different ideas as to what a sanctuary uh, could be used for. The root of the word uh, sanctuary is actually a Latin word, sanctus, and it means holy. And so let's think about this word holy. Uh, If you've heard the word sanctified before, that means uh, to become holy. If you've heard the word um, sanctimonious, right, that means that somebody thinks that they're much holier than you or they act like they are. If you've heard the word saint, right, a saint is someone who has been made holy. And therefore, a sanctuary is a place that has been made holy. And what that means is that it's been set apart for God, set apart for God to dwell in. In other terms, it's a dwelling place for God. See, at the heart of God is his desire to live among his people. And this is really the great narrative in Scripture that we see from beginning to end. Uh, You know, in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve uh, first sinned, they run from the presence of God. They hide from him. And all throughout Scripture, we see uh, God's creation, human beings running away from him, and him pursuing them relentlessly and trying to live a life amidst them and start a new relationship with them and restore the way that it was meant to be. God wants to live with us. In order to do so, we make sanctuaries, right? A place for God to dwell. And so as we're going through the book of Exodus, you guys, a lot of you have been here. Some of you haven't. That's all right. We're like week 10 in Exodus. It's been a great series. And most of these weeks, we've looked at, uh, at one verse and, and kind of expanded upon that. And tonight, we're going to look kind of at 15 verses, the last, or 15 chapters, the last 15 chapters of Exodus. It's kind of more of a summary, but what it is, is um, it's a story about the first sanctuary that was ever built, the tabernacle. So for the Israelites, uh, they had the tabernacle, and they carried this portable tent called the tabernacle, the sanctuary, all throughout the desert uh, with God dwelling amidst them uh, for 40 years until they got to the promised land. Once they got to the promised land, they built a temple, and that's where God dwelled in the midst of them. And then, as we know, Jesus came, and in John 1.14, it says that the word, meaning God, became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt means tabernacled, literally. He tabernacled among us as if living in a tent. And then as Christians, we know that through faith in Jesus Christ, him being the one and only perfect human being that ever lived, that through faith in him, we can wear his righteousness, that we are made holy, and that we ourselves are filled with the Holy Spirit, that we become living, breathing, walking, talking sanctuaries, just like Jesus. What an amazing deal, right? And we look forward to the day uh, in Revelation uh, that, that St. John talks about in the book of Revelation after the second coming of Jesus Christ. And he says, and he saw a new city coming, a holy city, a new Jerusalem descending out of heaven. And he heard a loud voice that said, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will be their God, and they will be his people. So we look to end times, right? After Jesus returns, when everything is made perfect again, and what we see in the second to last chapter of the entire Bible is that God's dwelling place is with man. He fills the whole earth. But in the meantime, uh, 
We have the Holy Spirit, right? We have an inner sanctuary where God lives within us. And although we have this sanctuary, I assume that with most of us, it needs some renovations. Does it not? Because here's the thing. Exodus chapter 40, 33, if we could throw it onto the screen. This is kind of the end of the scripture, uh, the chapters we're going to read today. But we're going to start at the end and move backwards. Uh, so Moses finished the work. He finished the tabernacle, okay? Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So when we look at what happened when the sanctuary was completed, when the work was done, what happened? The glory of the Lord filled it. And it begs the question that if we are a sanctuary, does the glory of the Lord fill us? Well, let's start with this question. What is the glory of the Lord? I'll give you an example to make this a little easier to, to comprehend. Kayla, my wife, she's not here. She's working tonight. But she, is, uh, she has a great sense of fashion and style. All right? I, on the other hand, do not. Hence the socks and the spheres. Um, that she would ream me for. She would never let me leave the house with it. Uh, we were visiting my, my brother and his wife, who just had a nephew a couple weeks ago, and my brother said when we were there, hey, you know, you should, you should make sure you pick the right outfit for uh, when you're in, in the delivery room because when I was there, and he said I cut the umbilical cord and it bled on my shirt and we had to throw it away. <laughs> And so, so it starts this discussion with Kayla and I about what uh, I should be wearing whenever she goes into labor. She's 38 weeks pregnant right now. And uh, we start kind of arguing because Kayla, I just, I look at her and she's shuffling through the images in her mind of all the outfits that she wishes she could destroy, right? <laughs> There's this one blue shirt that I wear all the time that's really comfortable. I love to wear it. And uh, she's like, well, how about you wear that one? <laughs> no. I love that shirt, you know, but she's, she's right. It's hideous. And here's the thing. For, for many of you, if you ever look at me and say, oh, Jake looks nice today, I can promise you it wasn't me. That's what I call the glory of Kayla within me. Okay? And by association, by the fact that uh, she lives with me and I let her buy my clothes and I listen to her suggestions most of the time when she tells me what to wear, then because of that, I am now some, you know, semblance of, of fashionable or, or stylish. But that's not my sense of style. It's, it's Kayla's. And so that's the glory of Kayla. Maybe not the full glory. You know, she's got a lot more going on for her than just that. But that's part of it. Okay? The glory of Kayla within me. So I think you get that. Now, what's the glory of God within us? What's the glory of God? What are the attributes of God that make him glorious? Let me just take a shot at this. Um, God is huge. The one thing that blows my mind when I think about God is, I don't know if you've seen those videos on YouTube about how big the universe is. You know, and it just, it goes through the solar system and uh, the entire universe and how it just goes on and on and on and on for light years and billions of stars and trillions and more than you could count. I mean, there's more stars than there are pebbles of sand on all the beaches in the world. It's, it's insane, you know? So the solar system is this incredibly large and vast thing that we can't even begin to explore, and God created that. 
God is creative. Just look around us in this earth. Look in, in the world. Look at human beings. Look at the way things work. Now, he is so creative. The personalities that he gives us. God is powerful. God is good, right? And not just good in the way that we think of it, this kind of, I, I do the right thing most of the time, moralistic. No, like down to his very core, the essence of his being is good so that not a single trace of evil or bad intentions or evil thoughts are ever on his mind. They can't make their way in. That's how good God is. God loves how many of you have felt the love of God? The fact that he redeems and forgives you and he runs you down and pursues you and he never gives up. God is patient. That no matter what you've done in your life, he will not give up on you and he wants a relationship with you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows all of your thoughts everything you've ever done, everything you've ever thought, and yet at the same time, he loves you more than anybody has ever loved you. The God of the universe. He's a personal and intimate God. And yet he's all-knowing. He's everywhere at all times and greater and more glorious than we could even begin to imagine. I think of stepping into his presence it's just falling to my knees. It's a breath getting taken out of me. John in Revelation talks about as if I, I was dead. I fell on the ground. <laughs> Can't even bear to stand in his presence. Light just radiating off of him. You take all of these attributes of what makes God glorious and you put them together in a, like a ball. <laughs> put it inside of you. Just imagine that. You know, it's bursting at the seams. That's the Holy Spirit. Everything, not just part of God, not just a few things here and there, every single thing that makes God glorious, the full glory of God dwelling within you in the Holy Spirit. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? For me, personally, the answer is no. I'm not sure I've ever been completely filled by the glory of God, that glory. Yes, I have the Holy Spirit, but am I, am I filled with his glory? Do others look at me and see the complete 100% character of God? Because that's what we're, the way we're supposed to live. But you see, it's a process. Um, we get the Holy Spirit, and it's this process of, of kind of joining God in, in letting him reconstruct this sanctuary and make it a place that is truly holy all the time where his glory can shine through to the world. And so today, with that, uh, we're going to talk about building an inner sanctuary. That's the, kind of the language we're going to use. Um, and as we look at this story, starting at the beginning with the Israelites, we're going to look at their behavior and some things that they did or didn't do and talk about some, some things that will be helpful for us in building an inner sanctuary so that the glory of God shines through us, all right? The first of these things is patience. And speaking of patience, uh, the reason I say this is because, okay, Moses in chapter 25 is up on the mountain and he's received the 10 commandments. They've made a covenant with God. 
said that we'll do everything you're going to do. And uh, as Moses is on the mountain for 40 days, he receives the instructions for the sanctuary, for the tabernacle, right? God is giving him all these instructions, and he's writing the Ten Commandments on the stone tablets. You may remember that story. But while he's up there, what happened? Mark preached about this last week, so yell it out if you know it. Yeah, there we go. All right. Hey, Mark, you didn't do so bad, man. <laughs> the golden calf. And so uh, as, as it's crazy because God is, is giving them instructions, and one of the materials he's saying to use for the tabernacle is gold. And uh, while he's doing so to Moses, basically the people say, where did Moses go? I, I don't know what happened to him. I don't know what happened to God. And they collect all, a bunch of their gold. They melt it down, and they build themselves a, a statue of a cow, a calf. <laughs> And they start worshiping it as their, own, as their God and dancing and singing around it. And God gets very angry and Moses gets angry. And when Moses comes down the mountain, he smashes the tablets, uh, symbolizing that the covenant has been broken between God and his people Israel. But what I get in that story is a sense of impatience. 40 days if you remember the stories in Exodus, this is the one thing that always blows my mind is that the Israelites saw miracles on the regular. I mean, daily. At first, they had the 10 plagues that came in and uh, were sent on the Egyptians. But then as they narrowly escaped, uh, God, God parted the Red Sea right in front of their eyes and they were through there. And then in the wilderness every day, God did things like making uh, water come out of a rock. And daily, he fed them literally the with bread that fell from heaven daily. And so one morning they woke up, ate their bread that miraculously fell from heaven and said, I don't know where God's at. Let's make ourselves a new God. It's this, this blindness, but real, really impatience. And, and with myself, I connect with this story because I, I so... I want to start a, steer, a spiritual discipline, you know, of one type, whether it be praying or, or meditating, maybe just loving people better or, or serving. And, and I expect these immediate results, and I don't get them, and I just give up on it. Or I take things into my own hands. You know, I start praying for this type of thing to happen, and it doesn't happen quickly enough, so I just give up on it impatience, man. And God's just saying, if you would just wait, the instructions for the tabernacle are on their way down the mountain right now. What you need is coming. But be patient. Are you willing to wait? So my advice to you from the scripture on this note is that if, if there's anything in your life right now that you're doing that is honoring God, stick with it. Stick with it and be patient. Thank you. The next one, uh, this is a kind of crazy one, tenacious priority keeping. All right, I'll explain. <laughs> tenacious, what does that mean? Uh, to have tenacity is to have a grip on something, a firm grip, and to not let it go, okay? Sticking to your priorities. But we got to make sure our priority, priorities are right first. You see, as we move along in the story, after uh, Moses smashed the stones, symbolizing that the covenant was broken, right? Israel mourned. Israel started crying, all right? Well, no, actually, let me, let me back up for a second. He smashed it. Uh, he goes to talk to God again, and God says this. <laughs> uh, if you would put up the scripture. Sorry. God says this. Uh, it's not up there. <laughs> 
He says, go to the promised land. Go to the promised land where I said, uh, where I said that I was going to give to you. I'll send my angels before you. I'll clear it out, um, but I will not go with you. God says, go. You can have this land that I gave you, but I'm not going to go with you. At that, Israel mourned. And what Moses said was this. If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? God says go, but go without me. And Moses says no. <laughs> Absolutely not. What are our priorities? I think so often, and this speaks to me and I think every one of us in this room, we're so quick to get a step ahead in life. Whatever that looks like for you, I, I don't know. But we get those opportunities to get a step ahead in life, whatever ahead means for us. And oftentimes we think that it's our right. No, I got this opportunity. I'm going to take it because I want it. Without even bothering to consider whether or not God is going with you. What are our priorities? Because for Moses, he's saying, look, like I, we could go there, we could show up, but then people are gonna start asking, who are you guys? Back then, everyone had a God to worship and, and we would say, Moses would say, yeah, we, we have uh, you know, the one true God, Yahweh. We worship him and, and he helped us get here. And they would say, well, where's he at? I don't see any evidence of him here right now. And that's what happens. If we take these opportunities without bringing God with us, if we go anywhere without God, and if God is not with us, and what we become is something that's called a nominal Christian. Nominal Christianity. That means that I call myself a Christian, but there is no evidence of God in my life. And Moses here is saying, what is the point if the glory of the Lord is not in us and with us? So make your number one priority God with us and never, ever, ever give that up, period. Next, willingness and eagerness. And I love these two scriptures that we're gonna put up. Um, let's do the first one. So the people of Israel, every man and woman who was eager to help in the work the Lord had given them through Moses, brought their gifts and gave them freely to the Lord. The next one, their contributions were more than enough to complete the whole project. So there was this change of heart. You see, after, after Moses uh, kind of straightened God out, you know, said, no, don't send us up from here if you don't go with us. God said, okay, I'll go with you. He renewed his covenant. God renewed his covenant and said, I will go with you. Moses spent another 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain, but this time when he came down, Israel was waiting patiently. And when God asked them to contribute the materials necessary for building this sanctuary, they were eager. It says here that they brought more than enough. More than enough. When it comes to God turning you into the person that he wants you to be and that you know that you need to become, are you giving him everything that he needs to do that? There's just something that I struggle with regularly. Uh, 
I feel like my dog, Penny, when, she, when we go on walks, um, she has to pee like 50 times every time we get on a walk. And I'm just trying to walk, you know? And so uh, she hates being drugged, but I end up dragging her by her collar and she, she tries biting the collar off and just, it's a, it's a fight, you know? And sometimes I feel like God uh, has me on a leash telling, like, come with me, you know, you could run ahead of me. <laughs> but I'm just fighting him, trying to bite off the leash, and other times I feel like dead weight and he's just dragging me across the pavement. And I'm like, I'll go where you go, but I'm not gonna like it. And I'm not gonna help you get me there. It, that's, the, that's the attitude that I have sometimes. And I don't know what to do about that sometimes other than just come to God and say, God, I, I know that I need this. Currently my heart doesn't want it. Will you please change me? <laughs> sometimes you just gotta... Just got to do it anyway, even if, if you're not feeling it. Uh, willingness and eagerness. The next is obedience. Um, something that strikes me is that from chapters 38 to 40, 19 times we see the phrase, just as the Lord had commanded. 19 times relating to what Moses did or what the people of Israel did. When constructing the tabernacle, they did just as the Lord had commanded. Not a single thing different. You know, Marcus said before that delayed obedience is still disobedience. You remember that? That's just one example here. But what is God asking you to do in your life tonight? that you even have the, the, the slightest error on, that, that, you're, that you're making shortcuts, you're, you're, you're cutting corners. Exactly just as the Lord had commanded. You see, in constructing this inner sanctuary, there is no room for error if we want the full glory of God to dwell within us. Are we going to eagerly give ourselves to him? Paul talks about pouring out our lives as a living sacrifice. Are you tithing just because Mark and Marcus and I tell you to? Are you coming to church just so you can, you know, get your hours in <laughs> that you have to get uh, for recovery? Are you coming to church because you just feel like you should for some weird reason? Um, or are you eager and are you willing to obey? Sacrificing, bringing sacrifices more than enough to God so that he has more than enough to work with. And then lastly, what we come to, uh, and I love this point, is Jesus. Now, this to me is incredible because let's go back to Exodus 40. It's the next slide. In the first sentence is what's important here. Moses finished the work. And then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. You see, in chapter 39, um, as this project was coming to an end, what, what happened here is that the community of Israel, they made all the parts of the sanctuary and the tabernacle. They fashioned all of the, you know, the altar and the poles and the tent, you name it. But then they brought it to Moses and Moses was instructed by God to complete the work. 
Moses finished the work. And if you've been here enough throughout this Exodus series, who does Moses represent in this story? Jesus. Jesus is the greater Moses, always. So in us, in constructing this sanctuary, it is necessary, it's not optional, it's necessary that Jesus completes the work within us. See, as Jesus hung on the cross and died for our sins, he took the punishment that we deserved. And he was buried, and when he rose to life again, when he was resurrected, all right, he gave us the opportunity to put our faith in him and to be clothed with his righteousness. The punishments for our sins have been taken away. Whatever work that we do within ourselves must be completed by the work of Jesus on the cross. Or else it's not complete. If you think you're going to heaven because you're a good person, you're wrong. Every single one of us has fallen short of the full glory of God. And if you tell me otherwise, I, I don't know what to do with you. I'm sorry. Every single one of us has fallen short of the full glory of God. All we can do is, is make the pieces of the tabernacle the best we can, lift them up to Jesus and say, please finish this work within me. And it's through that work that Jesus has already done. It's when we accept that gift from him that we receive the Holy Spirit and that we do receive, at least in part, <laughs> the glory of God that grows and grows and grows until we become fully sanctified and until we meet our maker. Tonight, um, I want to invite anyone who hasn't had uh, the chance to be baptized before, um, or if maybe you haven't been baptized in a long time and you want, you'd like to reaffirm your faith, um, I want to invite you to, after this service, come up to myself or Mark and talk to us about doing one of those things, um, giving your life back to Christ, letting him complete the work within you. And for the rest of us, I think we just need a good, healthy dose of surrender, <laughs> giving our lives back to Christ and allowing him and joining him in doing the work within us. What's most important to us? Should be that the glory of the Lord fills us. So I've got a, a quote here that I want to end with. There's this book uh, written about 500 years ago called The Interior Castle. And the lady that wrote it, um, St. Teresa of Avila, she had this concept that our soul was, was, a, was a castle with all these different rooms and that God was somewhere in there and we had to work our way, you know, kind of deeper into it. It's kind of a complicated, like, heady book, but, but uh, this guy, Matthew C. Filer, he had a conversation with her through this book. And, and so this, this quote, I think, will make a lot of sense. I'm encouraged to begin with some thought about the state of my soul. Not just its ruined condition and need for renovation, but about its nature, what it's made for. I think it tends to lie unused and unattended to because I forget what it does. It provides a dwelling place for God. Just because of this, my soul must be a great place indeed. 
an inward place that surpasses the outward places I live in. Pondering such greatness within my life, which is given by God, can move me into prayer. I want to ponder this question. What do you think a room will be like, which is the delight of a king so mighty, so wise, so pure, and so full of all that is good? What will that room look like? If you would, bow your head and pray with me. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for your amazing grace that has always pursued us and that empowers us and that changes us. We love you and we want more of your Holy Spirit. I pray tonight that you move within the hearts of everybody here. That through more worship and that through communion that you might administer to us more of your grace. Maybe some of us are getting grace for the first time, um, receiving it for the first time. Yeah. God, we just, uh, we pray for our lives to be changed and that we become living sanctuaries for you to dwell in. We invite you into our hearts. We surrender our own agendas and plans in our life to you and say that we want nothing more than for you to be with us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.